0: be solved, but a mystery to be lived. And prayer offers no ironclad guarantees, just the certain promise that we need not live that mystery alone. Most of us would agree that prayer is really not reciting some kind of magical formula that will unleash incredible power. And most of us would also agree that prayer is not inserting specific vocabulary into a divine vending machine, which will then deliver that which we want. Rather, we understand what the Bible teaches, that prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue between us and our Heavenly Father. But what we don't understand is that why at times does it feel like a monologue? Why does God at times appear to be silent? Uncaring, distant, out of reach. (laughs) If prayer is just one of those expressions of our relationship with Jesus Christ, then why in the world is it so frustrating? And could it be? Could it be, like I mentioned last week to you, that when it comes to some aspects of prayer, that we have swallowed a bunch of hogwash? And following Jesus, we need to have our eyes be wide open to how easy it is in prayer to lose our joy, to become weary, to see our enthusiasm evaporate, to wallow in discouragement or just simple resignation. Fortunately for us, our Savior Jesus is a good shepherd. And so he wants to speak this morning to our struggles in this area, our tensions in this area, our insidious misunderstandings that may still be in this very area. That's why I invite you, if you haven't already opened your Bibles there, that which Dave read is in Luke chapter 18, where we're going to land this morning. Because in writing down these words of Jesus, Luke starts with an initial purpose statement. Now, there are very few times in the Gospels where the writers tell us the reason why Jesus told a certain parable or told a certain story. This is one of these rare times. So why did Luke do something unusual here? Well, it could be simply that he doesn't want his readers to misunderstand the point of the story. And that may be true. I'd like to think it's also because he wants to highlight in the story its key issues for us to wrestle with in our story. So he wants us to work our way through this story very carefully and its details with a lens of a specific purpose in mind. Okay, then what are those key issues? And what's the prevailing purpose? Well, let's kind of dive into verse 1 for a moment. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This makes a couple observations here. First of all, look at that word ought. It literally means something is necessary, something is essential. In other words, whatever it is that Jesus is going to talk about, we can't afford to ignore that which He's going to tell us. Second observation. We can't afford to not always be praying. In other words, engaging in an ongoing conversation with our Heavenly Father is something that ought to characterize us. But does it? And if it doesn't, why doesn't it? Well, the story that Jesus is about to tell us is going to shed some light on that fact. Third detail that I want us to notice here in verse 1 is it's essential that as we pray, we not lose heart. That means to become weary, to become tired, to lose our enthusiasm. It's getting discouraged and giving up, so when you lose heart, you quit praying. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime someone offers insight into how not to lose heart, I'm all ears, because almost on a daily basis, this is the battleground. Every day it seems like I have reason to get weary. Every day I have reason to lose my joy, lose my passion. So when a person loses heart, what ends up happening to them is that they function, but they are not fulfilling the God-given reasons for why they are here on earth. So Jesus wants us to understand that there's a direct connection between praying consistently and not losing heart. But what's that connection? What is it that keeps us praying continually? What's going on inside of us that causes us to lose heart in the ongoing conversation that ought to be happening between me and my Heavenly Father? Well, that's why Jesus tells us this story. He's going to address those very questions this morning. And He answers all of these questions by telling us an interestingly powerful story. It's in verse 3 to verse 5. Now, before we look at it, why did Jesus teach so often through the use of story? Well, quite frankly, stories are incredibly memorable. So you can teach a list of truth and give people bullet points about that, but if you take all of that and wrap it up in a story, your audience will never be the same. They'll never forget it. Jesus knows this, and so he starts by giving us in this story two vividly contrasting characters to look at. Verse two, first character is the judge. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So in that role, this man, as a judge, was incredibly powerful he's a shaker and a mover in his community he has a position of respect and authority so people come to him when they want decisions made he makes the decision and what he says is the final word on the subject no arguments but we're given more than just his public status We're also given a look at the private status of his heart. Notice there in verse 2 the defining characteristics of this judge's character. First, he does not fear God. In other words, this man has no moral code of conduct. He has no awareness, no acknowledgement that there are divine absolutes that should govern his actions, that should influence his choices, that should define his values. He does not believe that he is accountable to anything or anyone outside of himself. He does not fear God. Secondly, notice, he does not respect man. Interesting, that word respect means to be sensitive or caring to another person's status. So it doesn't matter what your problem is. He doesn't care about it. In other words, no one has ever accused this man of being compassionate. It doesn't matter what you think of him. That's not going to influence him one bit. He is not going to try to seek your favor. It doesn't matter what other people think of him. And when it comes to other people, his basic attitude is, I couldn't care less. He does not respect man. And as we're going to see in a moment, his basic motivation in life is revealed, and that he simply does what is best for him. That's the judge. Now we're given a totally contrasting second character. Starting in verse 3, we're given the widow. Jesus says, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Stop right there for a moment. In that day, a widow was not only helpless, she was also incredibly vulnerable. The one strength that she could lean on, her husband is gone, so she is not respected like the judge. Rather than respected, she's pitied. Her position in life is one of desperate dependence because she does not have people coming to her. She's always having to go to others because of her needs. Now, like the judge, we're also given several internal characteristics that are defining her life. For example, notice in her struggling position as a widow, she needs legal protection. Give me justice against my adversary. There's the description. Now, we're not told the specifics, though. It could be something as easy or as simple as... Her husband had debts that he owed to somebody, and then he died, and she is unable to repay those debts. So now that other person is coming and trying to foreclose on her farm to grab it for himself. Could be something like that. But whatever it is, someone is trying to take something from her, and it isn't fair, and it isn't right. Now, second thing we're told about the widow. Even though she's helpless, even though she's vulnerable, she does have one asset: tenacity. She is a bulldog. Look at verse 3, she keeps coming to the judge. First part of verse 7, she keeps bothering him. Last part of verse 5, she continually comes to him. So that means that every morning when the judge opens his front door to get his morning paper, she's out there on the sidewalk asking him, please give me justice. He looks out his office window. There she is across the street on the sidewalk, walking back and forth with a protest sign and chanting, Hey, hey, ho, ho, I need justice, don't you know? He goes out to lunch. He goes out to an appointment. She follows him down the street, loudly proclaiming for anybody who will hear that he won't help her. Folks, this is a relentless stalker. That's the widow. She, on her dilapidated banjo, only has one string, but she is plucking it continually. Now, from all outward appearance, though, in the story, her appeals seem to be falling on deaf ears. but then we're given a surprising outcome. Verse 4, look at the start of it. For a while he refused. See, initially, nothing nothing changed. For a while he refused. Why was he not going to budge? Well, we were told this because of where his heart is back in verse 2. He doesn't care about other people's problems. He doesn't care what others think about him. He doesn't care what God thinks about all of this. And then look at the middle of verse 2, yet, (laughs) or but, even though I neither fear God nor respect man, verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. Why does he finally cave in? Well, it's not because he finally started listening to his conscience and owned up to his moral obligation as a judge. No. It wasn't because he was up for election and now he's trying to court the favor of the voters by doing something nice for this lady. No. It wasn't because suddenly he had an unexplained outpouring of compassion for her plight. No, that wasn't it either. There is a company in Chicago that is the world's largest magazine fulfillment firm. So through their computers, they handle subscription mailings. Among other things that they do, they send out renewals and they send out expiration notices to people. Well, one day their computer malfunctioned. Soon after, a rancher in Powder Bluff, Colorado, over a seven-day period, received 9,734 separate mailings from this company informing him that his subscription to National Geographic was about to expire. In one week. Finally, he dropped what he was doing, got in his pickup, drove 10 miles to the nearest post office where he sent in money for a renewal and he added this note along with it. He said, I give up. Send me your magazine." Why did the judge give up? Like the rancher, he had two reasons. Look at verse 5. First, she keeps bothering me. In other words, she's causing me trouble. She's being a burden. She's being a nuisance. The New Living Translation says she's driving me crazy. So to be bothered is to be inconvenienced. That's one reason. Second reason for giving up, she's beating me down. Now, that literally can mean to give someone a black eye. Pop, 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 But here it's being used in a figurative way. Not a physical attack, but her constant words of appeal are wearing him out. Her nonstop verbal assault starts feeling like blows to the face. We would use in the English language uh, the phrase, He is a brow-beaten man. So Jesus uses these two different contrasting characters in this powerful short story to reveal now an insightful application for us about prayer. Look at verse 6 and into verse 7. And so the Lord said, story's done, now he's going to the application... And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God... Okay, stop right there. Don't go any further. Jesus is using this parable to teach us something by the use of hyperbole. Hyperbole is using extreme exaggeration to make a point. So for those of you who are kids here, for those who are teenagers here... How many times have you heard your parents say, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times? Okay, that's hyperbole. Or parents, how many times have, in trying to help your young children um, not be swayed by the opinion of their peers, have said to them, well, if all of your friends go and jump off a cliff, are you going to jump too? That's hyperbole. Or how many of you have have said at one point, I am so hungry, I could eat a horse? Okay, okay hyperbole, using an exaggeration to make a point. So the exaggeration here in verse 6 and the start of verse 7 is the contrast between the heart of the judge who the widow is trying to appeal to and the heart of God who we appeal to. So on the one hand, we have the judge whose heart has no fear of God, whose heart has no respect for man, and yet he finally caves in because of this woman's persistence. On the other hand, we have our God, and the parable is a challenge. What do I really believe about the heart of my God? Is my God the extreme contrast... To the heart of the judge, or do I really honestly believe, I probably quietly never admit it, that the two are more alike? See, the story is asking us to face our stories. Does my father really care? And does he have the character for me to trust what he will do? What are we told about God's heart? What are we told about God's character for us? And what do we really believe? What are we really trusting when we hear verses like Romans 8.31 that tells us, if God is for us, who is against us? Or Psalm 56.9, this I know, God is for me. Or Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, and what I believe about God's heart then sets the tone from my heart and, and becomes the lens by which I start to view all of life. So if those verses that I just mentioned, and those are just a few of a, of a number, If those verses accurately reflect the heart of my God, then why do I lose heart and become so inconsistent about praying for my needs? Well, notice that Jesus isn't done applying the story. Because he's now in verse 7 and the first part of verse 8 going to point out that to pray consistently with joyful enthusiasm requires settling two issues. What are the two issues? Number one, it's the issue of justice. Look at the first part of verse 7. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to His elect or to His chosen ones who cry to Him day and night? There is something hardwired in every single human being that wants justice. We want to see people treated fairly. We want evil to be punished. We want honesty to saturate all of our human relationships. And part of the loss of innocence as the young grow older is to wake up to the fact that life is not fair that we are going to get hurt, that we are going to be disillusioned, that we are going to get betrayed by something or someone because what happened wasn't right, it wasn't fair, I did not deserve that. And so how then we pray about those things? Oftentimes it's, God, are you going to correct the situation? Are you going to step in and make things right? Are, you, are those who are practicing evil going to constantly get away with it? And why do those who love what is good have to struggle under unjust situations? We want justice. Where's the heart of our God? Now, did you notice that the first part of verse 7 is a question? And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him, day and night? What's the intended answer? We want to say yes, because that's the intended answer. We can can see that in the text. But our experience makes us hesitate, doesn't it? So let's allow God's Word to help us with answering this question. Psalm 37, verse 18, I mean 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake His godly ones. Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Lovingness and truth go before you. Psalm 146, verse 7. You execute justice for the oppressed. You give food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Folks, let's just be really honest this morning here. We want those scriptures to be true, and yet on the inside we struggle because on a street level, it doesn't look true. If God loves justice so much, why don't I see it? Why doesn't he give justice when I ask him for it in my specific situation that is so painful, so hard to live with? And that leads us to the second issue that's got to be settled. What's the second issue? Well, if the first one was justice, the second one is delay. Again, look at the end of verse 7. Will he, meaning God, Delay long over them, meaning his chosen ones. I tell you, verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. How often have we given up or lost heart because we didn't get an answer to our prayers? We pray but it seems that God is silent. It seems like our prayers are just bouncing off off the ceiling. It's a monologue. How many here have been praying for something or someone for months, literally for, for years, and without an answer? Is the heart of your God like the judge who thinks on the inside, I could care less? See, it's absolutely vital that we carefully examine what Jesus is saying here. And the key to understanding what he means in verse 8 is that little phrase, he's going to give justice speedily. Now, back up to verse 7 because there's the question. Will he delay long? Okay, to delay is to experience a postponement. So for us, the question is this. Does God purposefully delay or postpone His actions? And does He always act at the exact perfect moment? See, the, those questions raised, we've got a timing issue here. We want it now, but are we willing in this matter that needs justice to let God control the timing and to trust his heart about that. See, that's one of the major tensions we have, Don, isn't it? Saying, okay, Rick, I'm following you here, but back to verse eight. What about that little word speedily? Some of your translations, you may have the New American Standard and it says quickly. It ain't been quick for me. Good question the greek word for speedily is the word tacos. and no that's not where we get taco from you know and as we go through the fast food rather it the root idea behind it is the english word tachometer the gauge that measures the speed of an engine you know revolving so in this story speedily is not measuring the time between two events. In other words, my prayer and when God will answer. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that answer is going to come speedily in the sense of the length of time between I pray and what it answers. Rather, Acts chapter 10 and verse 33 uses this word that really helps us understand the point of it. It's where Cornelius has had his vision from God and he's told go get Peter and bring him into your house. And then that word describes Cornelius' response. Acts 10.33, he says, so I sent for you Peter immediately. In other words, I sent for you at once. Cornelius acted with tacos quickly, swiftly. In other words, When the delay to our request for justice seems long, are we willing to leave the timing in God's hands, believing that at just the right moment, when it's part of his larger story, suddenly, swiftly, quickly, immediately, he's going to act on our behalf. And that leads us then to Jesus' final point about the story. Settling those key issues of justice and delay, to settle them, requires a bold response. Look at the end of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Look at that first word, nevertheless. In spite of appearances at street level, what behavior is going to be seen in us? It is going to take faith to believe that our Heavenly Father cares about justice when we look at our circumstances. It's going to take faith. It's going to take faith to leave the timing into His hands when I want it now because it hurts so much. You see, this final question is all, haunting question to be left with us. Our Jesus is going to return one day. And when he comes back, what's he going to find among his followers? Will he see us, his people, his chosen ones, facing our need of justice and the delay of getting it? Is he going to see us responding to all that by faith? our faith being demonstrated by trusting our Father's heart and continuing to pray without losing hearts. Prayer offers no ironclad guarantees, just the certain promise that we need not live the mystery alone. Are you here this morning and you've lost heart over a matter of justice that's been delayed? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your hopeful expectancy that God cares and will make right that unjust circumstance that you're living with? The story is saying that today you need to settle two things the issue of justice, and the issue of delay by choosing who are you going to trust. Let's pray. Pray with me.